Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Benjamin Moore and Sherwin-Williams. Welcome to the Women in Paint podcast. I am your host, Michael Cheney. I am also the owner of No Drip Painting, where we are changing lives through paint. I have Tracy Clayman on with me today. And all right, Tracy is an author, speaker, Reiki master, corporate trainer, and my favorite title of all, happiness coach. Tracy, welcome to the show. Yay, thank you. I'm so glad to be here with you. So, you know, I think we have to just dive right into what is a happiness coach and how did you find yourself in that role? Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, I have spent my entire life chasing happiness. I think that's something we all have. And um, years ago, I realized I was going about it all wrong. And that set me on a completely different journey. Um, And over the years, I have just studied happiness and positivity and um, mindset change. And I have found myself in a position now where I have the opportunity to work with businesses and organizations and individuals uh, to help them cultivate happiness through positive thinking, removing distractions, and um, really rewiring our brains to see our reality in a way that is the most beneficial. Uh, I absolutely love this topic and I cannot wait until you teach me all of the things. Um, let's start with what what does happiness mean to you? Oh my gosh. So happiness to me is um, really the pursuit of potential. So it's not the attainment of anything. It's the pursuit of it. So all of the things that go into pursuing our potential everything that we can be in every part of our lives. And um, that leads to success. And my definition of success is joy, freedom, growth, meaning and purpose. So, um, and that can come in so many different ways. So it sounds like it's a little more about the journey, not the destination. Uh, You know, my take on it is there really isn't a destination. It's kind of this ongoing development um, like you said, to kind of seek uh, whatever I guess success means to you personally. Exactly. It is. It's we we have it all wrong. You know, we've been led to believe that happiness is all of these external things. And mm-hmm. once we achieve those things, once we obtain those things, then we'll be happy. And I think, you know, the older the older I get, the more I realize that if I'm not happy when I don't have those things, chances are I'm not going to be happy when I do have those things. And right. um, but it's really this spiral because none of us know well how what am I how am I supposed to be happy if it's not through the attainment of these things? Man, and, yes, yes, I love it. But my, just the first thing that comes to thought, my thoughts here are: we live in this world that 
you know, in some capacity teaches us to, to strive for those external things. How do you flip that? How, when we've kind of been raised and, and bred to, um, you know, whether it's climbing the corporate ladder, winning the trophy, whatever it is, how, how do you flip that and not make it about the external piece anymore? Yeah, that's a great question. And that really is the challenge. And it, there's not an, an overnight answer. It really is. It's a, it's the work of a lifetime. And you figure we got to where we're at. You know, I, I thought the same things about life for 40 years. I'm not going to change that overnight. Um, but the consistent little practices that I do every day are starting to change that. And really, it comes from how we choose to see our environment, how we choose to see the things in our reality. And when we start to train our brain to look for the good, to see the good, then that journey and that pursuit becomes much more fulfilling and rewarding and full of gratitude because we start to focus on different things. Mm -hmm. So does it kind of start with, with our mindset? It does. 100% starts with our mindset. We are hit with 11 million pieces of information every second. And our brain can only process 40 of those pieces of information. So we're constantly sifting through information to determine what we want to focus on. So we have a very limited amount of focus. And once we start to train ourselves we can either live by default and just let that focus be what it's always been, what other people tell us should be, um, or we can consciously determine what we want to focus on. We can make that choice and we can set up our environment and our world mm -hmm. to support that. And it's, it's a choice. That's You are either choosing to see things in a positive way or you're choosing to see them in a negative way, um, whether you think you're making a choice or not. Right. I think that and on some level has to start with the awareness, which I think is difficult when we're caught up in this rat race of life, we're in our routines, or maybe even habits that we don't realize are habits. Um, where I don't know, would you be willing to share what, uh, what are some of the things that you do to set up your environment to cater to the mindset that, that you're, you're going for? Yeah, you bet. It's, so we are affected by everything that we consume, whether it's what we eat, what we breathe, the people we surround ourselves with, the um, media that we consume. So one thing I do that has been incredibly life-changing is I manage my input. So I do everything I can to spend time with people who make me feel good, to consume things that make me feel good, to move my body in a way that feels good. Um, I surround myself with things that make me happy. So like little doses of happiness in our life. So if your work environment is completely empty of anything that makes you happy, you are setting yourself up at a disadvantage because, you know, pictures of things that you love, um, you know, sitting in a chair that makes you feel comfortable and cozy, um, you know, listening to music in, in your car or work truck, that if it makes you feel good, do it. Um, right. I have gotten incredibly unapologetic about that because especially as women, we have been led mm -hmm. to believe that it doesn't really matter how it feels to us. What matters is 
how other people feel about how it feels to us. Mm -hmm. And so like the spending time with people that make me feel good, that takes practice because we all spend time with people who don't make us feel good. And once you stop doing that, it really changes your mindset. Um, But it's challenging. I'm going to guess that you've gotten good at setting boundaries. I have. I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done. That's what I always, I always tell people. It's not, you know, you're not going to take a one hour workshop or a, you know, two day certification class. And then all of a sudden just have it mastered. It's, it's, I really feel like all of our life is a practice field. Like we're so serious about life. Like we can't make a mistake. We can't like Everything is an every place is an opportunity to practice like the holidays coming up. This is like the best time to practice this kind of stuff because we all are going to have to be in situations we maybe don't want to be in with people who we don't agree with or don't like. And like what a great opportunity to shift your mindset or to try Mm -hmm. some different strategies when you're interacting with people and just see what happens. Right. Fascinating. Right. Absolutely. Um, what, like, what's your take on social media? I know, you know, we're talking about like managing your input mm-hmm. and I mean, you know how it is nowadays, especially with, with kids and social media and there's constant, uh, you know, the availability of the accessibility of all of this. What, like, I guess maybe speak from these, this perspective, what, what should an adult do <laughs> when it comes to social media and, and I don't know, what place should social media have in your life uh, as far as you're concerned? It's, that's a tough one because there are so many good things that come out of social media. And, you know, everybody mm-hmm. talks about it all the time. You know, the connections and, um, you know, the interactions that we're able to have, the access to information. There is a lot of really good, there's a lot of good that comes out of social media. However, um, I know for myself, I spend way too much time on it. And mm-hmm. when you you look at the amount of information that our brain has to process every second, anytime we're choosing to focus on something that is not beneficial, that takes energy away from being able to focus on something that is beneficial. So I would always say, if you find yourself saying, I don't have time for mm-hmm. insert anything, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to go back to school. I don't have time to learn a new skill. I don't have time to, you know, do my taxes. I don't have time for something. Pay attention yeah. to how much time you are wasting mindlessly scrolling through social media. And I, for a while, I said, okay, I'm going to set a limit. You know, like. I'm only going to do this. I'm only going to pop on Facebook and look at my memories because that makes me happy. Over time, that just looking at my memories turns into an hour Mm -hmm. scrolling through and seeing all of the, you know, other stuff that's on there. And it started to make me not feel good. And I think that is what, like, the connection piece is so important. But I also think the connection piece is so important because we've stopped connecting in person with people. And so if instead of looking to social media as my way to connect with people, I put that down and actually connect it in person, I wouldn't, that excuse then goes away. I feel like that's kind of an excuse we make, like, 
oh, social media allows me to connect with people. Well, let's go connect in person. Yeah, man, you're so right. You know, we had our first ever Women in Paint event uh, last week in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this group has a Facebook group. Uh, and there's lots of great connections on there, right? It's a, it's a resource for us to ask questions and have a supportive space uh, at our fingertips. But when the group got together in person, it was next level, right? Uh, so I think you're on, you're onto something and it's just making me kind of reflect here in the moment of we do often say social media is a platform for connection while it is, but the feeling you get from those in-person connections, I mean, I, the women left this event energized and excited about what we're doing again, right? Like sometimes, uh, you know, regardless of what industry and in, whatever kind of work you're doing, you know, you have good times and then maybe, you know, times that are not so great. And you need that uh, connection to remind you why you're doing things, to uh, inspire you and, and you know, to kind of breathe some life back into you. And that you're right. That's what the in-person events do. And it's really difficult to get that from a social media platform. Yes. Yeah. And every, I mean, there's study after study after study that shows the number one indicator of your happiness and your health is the strength of your social bonds. And those are in-person social bonds. So family and friends and people that you can go to when times are tough, people who celebrate your achievements. That is the number one predictor of happiness. And we have set up our world to not have to have that. Mm. We have set up our world to be automated and to be, you know, full of technology and to be virtual. And um, we have you know, stress is at the highest level it's been. People are the most dissatisfied with their work and with their personal lives. And it's because we don't, we don't connect. We've taken that one thing that is the most important in our life and we've squashed it. And um, it's anybody, anytime you spend time with someone, you're like, oh my God, yes, this. Mm-hmm. And then we get right back into, I mean, it's, it's, our world is not set up for that, especially, you know, as we move forward. Um, so we have to, we have to be intentional. Otherwise, we're just going to fall into that life of default. And th- I mean, that's not the life I want to live. Yeah, I like how you kind of frame that it really gave me some perspective. Um, do you have any tips on uh, how we manage social media with, with kids, you know, in our uh, women in paint group. We've got a lot of parents, a lot of mothers out there. Uh, anything you can throw at me that <laughs> might uh, give some guidance? Well, I I am not. Um, I have stepchildren. They're all grown. Um, so I definitely am not qualified for parenting advice because I always say if I had kids, they would have like stayed in the house, never gone anywhere. <laughs> only eaten, you know, vegetables and tofu. So my children maybe would not have been the best example. Um, But I think, I think the important thing is that for all of us, that we realize what effect that that is having and that we acknowledge it. So if you see, I mean, you know, we experience this with our partners, right? With Mm -hmm. our, our family members, you know, when you notice that someone is like, not engaging in life because they're spending so much time engaging in something that is detrimental, then you need to find a way to rechannel that. Um, Right. It's, you know, I don't think we're ever going to be at a world with social media. It just seems to be, you know, growing and changing and evolving. Um, 
And so it's it's like you had said, the first the first thing to do is like acknowledge it and say, okay, this is a challenging thing. And um, probably the first thing that you can do is set a good example. Like, don't tell your kids to stay off social media if all you do when you're sitting at home at night with them is go through your social media, like put your phone down and engage with them. True story right there. Um, You know, you made me think of something like now that AI is becoming the big thing. Now you don't even have to craft your own responses to things. So, I mean, think how much further this disconnection and this divide is going to take place because of AI. I know it's going to offer a lot of amazing tools and resources, but geez, now we don't even have to come up with a a genuine response to anything. Exactly. Yeah, I can can write my whole, you know, holiday letter through AI. I can just tell it what I want to say and it'll craft this beautiful story. And it's, yeah. it just continues to, and I always have felt about social media, it's a highlight reel, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. people are putting forth the best version of themselves um, or what they want other people to see. So you're not seeing genuineness, you're seeing a, a crafted image. And that's, it, AI is just going to continue that. And anytime you're around someone who is genuine, it feels different. Like people love genuine interaction. And when someone is real, it's like, it blows your mind. You can't get enough of it. Like you can't, someone opens up to you. You can't wait to open up to them and tell them all your stuff, like all your messy, ugly, wonderful, beautiful (laughs) stuff. And I just think it's so important that we not lose, that we don't just go along with that, that we're conscious of it and take steps to continue to cultivate those things that make us feel good. Yes. Um, In the positive psychology training that I know you're going to be doing in in January, and you might be doing that now, but um, you have a section there about um, noise cancellation Mm -hmm. strategies. Um, What, give me some strategies. What, what can we do to tune out the, the craziness and all the noise that we we're getting? This is actually, this is one of my favorite topics. I love this because, you know, anytime you feel yourself getting like worked up, stressed, afraid, this is a a good filter with which to see the world. So take a look at the information that's coming into your mind and we evaluate it. So is this information usable? And the news is a great example of this. So, you know, you see something on the news and you just can't think, stop thinking about it. So now, you know, there's some tragedy in some other part of the world and you just become obsessed with it, right? You want to watch it on the news. You're looking at stories on your phone. You're looking for Facebook groups. You're doing all these things. So is this information usable? Are you going to change anything about your life? Are you going to volunteer? Are you going to start an advocacy campaign? Are you going to are you going to do anything different about your life by this this information that you are so focused and worked up about? And if the answer is no, then that information is unusable. So mm. stop thinking about it. And we have to give ourselves the permission to say that because we've been led to believe that we have to be global citizens. We have to understand what's happening in the world and and know the plight of every you know person and society and country in the world if we're not going to do anything about it stop thinking about it doesn't matter right it just perpetuates the anxiety if you're someone who's already got anxiety um man that's that's pretty powerful just asking the question of am I going to do anything with this? Because you're right. Most of the time, the answer is probably no. 
And that's okay. Like that's yeah. okay. We can't, we're not all going to save the world. Mm-hmm. Like the vast majority of us are not going to, you know, save the world as a whole. Um, but we can do is affect the world that's around us. And um, I remember when COVID was happening and, you know, every, like I was just losing my mind about what's happening everywhere. And then finally I decided I'm going to focus on what's happening in my home with my family. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do the best that I can to be present and be focused on this. And that's what I can manage. That's what I can handle. And I'm going to work really hard to not be upset about things that are happening outside of my sphere of influence. Um, And again, it feels very like counterintuitive to everything Mm -hmm. that we feel like we should be doing. Yeah. But it's, if you can only focus, like that's taking your focus away from things that matter. So right. You're focusing on that. You can't focus on things that are going to provide you joy, growth, freedom, meaning, and purpose in your life because you're focusing on something that's completely unusable. That's right. What, uh, you know, on our our journeys towards happiness, where does vulnerability play a part in all of that? And what what does that really look like? You know, this question of vulnerability came up at our conference that we recently Mm had. um, And... I'm just interested to hear kind of your take on that uh, and how you view vulnerability. It's funny because I think that's become, I mean, it's become such a buzzword, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody, I feel like um, vulnerability has turned into this, like, again, like this crafted image, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to be vulnerable with you, but it's very like strategic, right? Mm -hmm. We share ourselves in strategic ways. So I mean, is that really still mm-hmm. vulnerability? Um, I I think that it's more like, first of all, being honest with ourselves. Like you can't be vulnerable with other people until you're honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, until you acknowledge, you know, where you're at in life and what that means. And I think that, you need to, in order to travel down that, you know, path of happiness, you have to be able to like acknowledge your truths and the things that you want to let go and to say, I am afraid of this and Mm -hmm. I don't want to be anymore. So I'm going to shift, I'm going to work on shifting my mindset so that I don't have to be afraid of this anymore. Yeah. Well said. Um, in terms of like some of the corporate training you do, what is like, what does that look like? How do you, how do I make my, my team, my business happy? (laughs) What is, what does that look like? Well, I will say the, the, one of the most important things to understand about having a happy team is that, you know, it's not just going to make it a more enjoyable place to work. Like, oh, everybody's happy. This feels good. But there are studies that show that happy teams perform better. They take less sick days. Um, They earn more money. They're more successful. Happy salespeople outsell unhappy salespeople by 56%. Like there's, there are actual studies. It's um, like I was telling before, it's not just anecdotal and, you know, um, just like personal stories of success. There's actual research that shows that when you're happier, you perform better. Sure. And um, it's, you know, it can, like, 
it, it can feel very, um, you know, like touchy touchy, like I don't want to, um, you know, put together a training for my team that's not going to like, I want sales training for my team. And I want, you know, like measurable results. Um, but again, it's that mind shift, like those right. happiness comes before those comes before those things. And if you want to just keep churning your team, then, you know, who cares if they're happy? Um, but when they are optimistic and positive, they're more creative. They work better together. They problem solve. They're better problem solvers. They can see possibilities. Um, positivity really opens up our brains to see possibilities that we wouldn't otherwise see. Yeah. So like in the doctors are a great example. So doctors who are positive and optimistic are more likely to diagnose you correctly the first time. And they're more likely to diagnose you correctly quicker. Mm. So in every part of our life, like we want to be dealing with happy people because they see possibilities in ways that unhappy people don't. And I mean, that's, that's like your best kind of team, you know, regardless yeah. of what the skill level is that they work together, that they're problem solvers, that they're creative, um, mm -hmm. that they're not sick, that they're more motivated. It's all of those things you know, contribute to the bottom line. Man, I, I love that. You know, the the thing that I think we we overlook often is like the creativity piece. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I think we have a tendency to label people, oh, they're so creative. But I think it's in all of us in some capacity, it just might look differently. Um, any thoughts on how do you draw the creativity out of your team or even out of yourself? Mm. We have to, you have to make space for it. It's just like with anything. It's, we, we seem to have two speeds, right? We're either going full speed ahead, doing a million things, or we're doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, inaction is the easiest action of all, right? So like you're thinking about the weekend and you have all these big plans. I'm going to do all these things. And then the weekend comes and you just like lay on the couch because you think that feels good. Um, right. Those kinds of things, like that mindless, the mindless scrolling, the binge watching, that can makes you happy for about 30 minutes. And then after that, it has the opposite effect. So creating space for these things and, um, you know, coming back to vulnerability, taking chances, right? Like, yeah. we also think we have to be good at everything. Like, I can't, yeah. I can't take a writing class or paint because I can't paint. Mm. That's why you take a class to learn. Right. Like right. we, we, as we get older, you know, when you're a child, you're encouraged to learn all these things. And then we hit a point where we just, we want to be the master at everything. And yeah. that beginner mindset where we are learning something that changes our brain. Like our brain is such more, it's so flexible and our neural pathways have all of this they're, they're moldable. And so we can change our neural pathways if we take a chance. But like, if you yeah. just do the same thing every single day and refuse to make space for anything else, all, all you'll ever get is exactly where you're at. Mm -hmm. So um, like, that's even just things like walking, when you go to the store, like when you go to the grocery store, you follow the same path, right? Like you get your cart, you go in and you turn, you like go the same way, go a different mm -hmm. way, mm. like challenge your brain. If you drive the same way to work every day, take another, take a different path, like allow your brain to start to see different perspectives 
in things that you are familiar with. Yeah, that's, that's an easy thing we can do. But, you know, because we're all so hustle and bustle, we got to get this, we got to, I mean, I can't even think of the last time I thought about taking a different, different drive to work. Uh, But it makes so much sense when you say it like that. Um, Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your book? Um, Because when I read about it, I immediately fell in love with it. And I knew I had to get it for my team. But if you want to kind of give us an overview of it, it's, it's a really endearing, endearing story. Yeah, you bet. I would love to. So I wrote a book. It's called Asha Lessons in Hope and Life. And it's about uh, my life, specifically my life with my dog, Asha, who was born deaf and blind. Um, I adopted her when she was five months old. And um, she had epilepsy and horrible anxiety and just completely destroyed my world. Um, And I adopted her at a point in my life when I was incredibly unhappy and I was looking for a purpose. And I thought that adopting this special needs dog was the thing that was going to give me my purpose. It was going to make me a great person. Um, She was going to make other people see what a great person I was because you know, who adopts a deaf and blind dog, like only a fantastic person. And that's what I wanted to be was a fantastic person. And then I adopted this dog and I was like even more unhappy. I wasn't getting any sleep. She was destroying my home. My marriage was falling apart. Uh, My finances were awful. And um, that really, she is really responsible for this deep dive into happiness and positive thinking because I started to realize, I mean, too stubborn. I'm not going to get rid of her, right? Like I'm going to keep this dog. Um, And I'm either going to live a miserable life or I've got to figure out a way to be happy regardless of my circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so I started to find ways to turn the frustration that I felt for my life with her into a fascination. I tried to change my mindset about how she was affecting my life. And um, I mean, she was that she was the happiest dog in the whole world. And I hated her for it because I was like, why are you so happy? Like, you're destroying my life. What are you so happy about? And then I started to pay attention to the things that she did mm-hmm. in her life and how she experienced the world and how she asked for what she wanted and was unapologetic about like, she never apologized for screaming in the middle of the night, right? And so I started just to kind of take these lessons and take them to heart. Like, you know, yeah. she lived for connection. Like she loved connecting mm-hmm. with people. Um, and she loved with her whole being. And she was just unapologetic about what she needed. And um, she was with me through huge changes in my life and um, very difficult times. And I just continued to learn from her over the years. And um, she changed my life. If, if I didn't, if I didn't meet her and experience this lifetime with her, I would definitely not be who I am today. That's beautiful. Yeah. Especially uh, a fellow dog lover. I mean, they really are a part of the family and it's, I, I love how you just articulate that. Um, you've got an event coming up yeah. in the Akron area. Would you care to share about that? Maybe we can get some folks there. Yes. I feel like this is right up your alley. Um, so it's called 
the Shine Symposium, and I work with an organization in Kent, Ohio called Shine, and our mission is to educate and empower um, people through certifications, um, workshops, trainings, events, and experiences. So we do all sorts of things like um, Reiki certifications, yoga teacher training, positive psychology classes, um, all sorts of things like wellness, happiness, energy-based. And we are putting on an event in January. It'll be a full day of um, breakout groups, um, speakers, and it's focused on small business success, personal development, and self-care. So um, we'll have speakers like um, Kelly Bronson, who's one of the coaches for the Browns, one of the first female coaches in the NFL, Um, Valerie Mayen, who is the creator of Yellow Cake, which is a local clothing brand that was featured. She was featured on uh, Project Runway years ago. And then... um, Courtney Martinelli, who's the creator of Shine, it just um, Chrissy Rich, Christine Rich from uh, Sherwin-Williams. I know she was on the podcast. She's going to be part of um, one of the panels talking about um, adversity, how failure is part Mm. of success. So it's just it's going to be a really fantastic day of all of the things that we've been talking about. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, so it's January 27th and it's at um, a place called Neomed in Rootstown, Ohio, which is down near Akron. Okay, awesome. I'll make sure we drop the link in here so people can find it. Um, That sounds amazing. And as every time I'm on one of these podcasts, time flies. So I've got one more question for you. Uh, I asked this question to everyone. Um, What does it look like for you to take care of yourself? How do you take mm-hmm. care of yourself so that you can show up and do this amazing work in, in the world that you do uh, and, and stay, you know, uh, inspired? And what do you do to take care of Tracy? Oh, man, that's a, a really great question. Um, I do a lot of things. <laughs> My husband's always like, how do you have it? Because I have a full-time job. I mean, I do a million things. And he's like, how do you have time to do all that stuff when you spend all of this time, like, you know, drinking tea and meditating? Yeah. <laughs> every, every time he comes home, you'll hear the music upstairs. And he's like, oh, God, I know you're up there <laughs> meditating or doing something. Um, but I make it a priority. I make it a priority. I get up every morning and I take time to sit, like, in peace and quiet um, gratitude. I think if people only do one thing, a gratitude practice, so whether it's three things, just sit down every day and write three things that you're grateful for. And they can be the smallest things. Like I am grateful I got out of bed today. <laughs> I'm yeah. grateful that I'm going to get back into bed tonight. It, <laughs> right. Some days it's the smallest things, but like a gratitude practice will change the way you see the entire world. It changes the way I see the entire world. So when bad things happen, being able to find gratitude in my day, and I do that every morning. So I have I have a whole lot of things. Yeah, you know, I drink my tea, I mm-hmm. write my journal, I read my books, um, and every morning I write three things that I'm grateful for. And uh, so that that would be my my secret tip. 
gratitude practice. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, Well, thank you so much for joining me. I could literally sit and listen to you talk all day long. Um, Maybe I'll be able to see you on January 27th at the event. Uh, Until then, this is, uh, you know, one more episode of Women in Paint in the Books. If you're not following us on our Facebook page, Women in Paint, please do so. And we will catch you next time on the next episode of Women in Paint. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.